congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are a lot of different churches in North America and in Northwestern Europe. And all these different churches, they claim to be Christian churches. And it's sad to say it, but if you look at the picture of general Christianity in the so-called free world, then we see a picture of division and confusion. The name of churches go from the church of God to the people's church. And the statement of faith ranges from very biblical to downright blasphemous. And all this is already going on for so long. Not only in Christianity of today, but already in the time of the very early church. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 13, for this reason already cried out, Is Christ then divided? And and for everyone who is not so familiar, familiar with the Bible and with Christianity, there must seem to be so. Christ must be a very divided person that people worship him in a way that sometimes contradicts each other. But before us this afternoon is question 54 of our catechism. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? And actually it should read the one Holy Catholic Church. That's how the original article of the Apostles' Creed reads. There is only one church, one holy Catholic church. And that church itself is also one. All the division, all the confusion and the ignorance, it is all because of sin. It is Satan who uses heresy, rebellion, division, caused by human pride in order to attack and to destroy that one holy Catholic church. And among general Christianity, Satan always finds willing helpers to divide it. Churches have divided about things of human pride. People were not willing to give in after they said something. And became different churches. who, in their own way justified their own decisions by little rules and regulations. And sometimes... Satan divided the church by really convincing a lot of people from something that is completely unbiblical. Satan already began with that in paradise. And he has been at it since. And he will not stop trying to destroy everything that God has made until the very last day. And that especially counts for the one holy Catholic Church, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is so dear to him. And because it is so dear to him, he is trying to destroy it. And it's so sad that so many people that call themselves after Christ's name, they call themselves Christians, are giving Satan a hand. We should always be alert. We don't become part of that. In our time, he seems to be intensifying his attempts. Because the churches that have been very faithful to the Bible, there is 
unrest. Many people are not satisfied with the, thing, with the, with the way things are going in the church. They want something new. But we all have to watch it. Not every new thing is wrong. But not every new thing is necessary in our building either. We need to discern this. And each one for ourselves. And watch that we don't become part of Satan's scheme. The good news is that the one holy Christian church, in spite of all Satan's attempts for so many centuries, still continues. In spite of all Satan's efforts and all man's sin, the gates of hell have not prevailed against the church and they never will. That's the good news. As I said, this afternoon we have before us question 54 of our catechism. What do you believe concerning the one holy Catholic church? It's very important what you believe about it. That's why the catechism asks you that way. It isn't asked from what are we supposed to believe? No, what do you believe about it? Because that's going to determine how you will treat the church, how you will contribute to the church, how you will submit to the preaching in the church. It all has to do with how, what you believe about the Holy Catholic Church. So this afternoon I will preach to you the word of God regarding the church as it is summarized in this question and answer of our catechism under the team we believe one holy Catholic Church. And then we'll first see who the builder of this church is. And then second we'll look at who and what he uses to build this church. And also why he builds this church. So first, who the builder of the church is. Now our answer in the catechism begins with the words, I believe that the Son of God... Well, that then actually answers, for the largest part, the question of who the builder is. The answer is clear. The Son of God. The eternal Son of God. And by saying the Son of God, the Catechism right away emphasizes that the building of the Holy Catholic Church is divine work. It's not the work of man, but the work of God. And we must not think, of course, that the eternal Son of God began to build this church in the New Testament, in the time that he came into the world and became man. No, the eternal Son of God began this world, this work already in the Old Testament. That's why the, the, the answer of our catechism uses the phrase, from the beginning of the world to its end. Already in the beginning, the eternal Son of God gathered Adam and Eve as they were hiding from God in the Garden of Eden. Adam, where are you? Christ is gathering his church. It was there and then that he began. The eternal Son of God then also defended them against the total destruction Satan had in mind for them when he said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's how he defended them. Didn't give them over and left them not in the power of Satan. And he also preserved them 
For we read in Genesis 3, verse 21, And the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. That's when it started. And from there on, the Son of God continued. He gathered and defended and preserved Noah and his family in the ark. The Lord gathered our father Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. Faithfully, the Lord gathered his church out of Egypt, the land of slavery, unto himself on Mount Sinai. He defended his church against all enemies when it traveled into the promised land, and he preserved it in spite of its own sinfulness and unfaithfulness. And so this, the eternal Son of God continued. In the fullness of time, he himself came into this world to pay the awesome price for all those whom the Father had given him, all those whom he had already gathered from the beginning of the world, and all those whom he still would gather to the end of the world. And after paying that awesome price, his life's blood, he continued the gathering, defending, and preserving of his church. He did it in the beginning through the apostles, whom he filled with his Holy Spirit, and sent them into the entire world, so that through their preaching the gospel of the gospel, he could, Christ could continue to gather his church. And the apostles were succeeded by other preachers. For he had promised, I will be with you even to the end of the age. And that went further than the apostles. So the gospel traveled from Israel to Asia, from Asia to North Africa, from there to Europe, and from Europe to the continents of America and, and Australia. And so we see that because of Christ's work, being fulfilled what was already prophesied in Psalm 22, where it says, The end of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families and nation of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Now our answer continues, and then we see that it's not only the Son of God who is involved by the building of the church. Because our answer said that the Son of God, by his spirit and word, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself a church chosen to everlasting life. A church chosen. Who did the choosing? Well, we all know. God the Father did the choosing. He, before the foundation of the world, chose those who would be saved in order to be gathered into his church. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father had each one of us here in mind so that we would, we would sit here in this church so that we would know about the forgiveness of our sins so that we would know about eternal life. Think about that. Everything, the whole world history up to now, everything in your own life has led up to that point. God the Father chose Lord Jesus said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him. See, that's also part of the gathering work. The Father draws them through Jesus Christ. In John 17, we hear the Lord pray for those who are given to him by the Father. 
And so we see that God the Father is very much involved in the building of that one holy Catholic Church. Actually, the whole Trinity is involved in the building of the one holy Catholic Church, also the Holy Spirit, as we saw in the answer to our question, and as we will look more closely at in a few moments. Christ, however, is the primary builder of his church. And he built for himself, says our answer. And rightly so. The church is his church, not ours. And in our time, that's very important. So I'm going to repeat it. The church is his church, not ours. Things should go his way, not our way. Well, if our way is his way, it may also go our way. should always remember that. It's his church. Christ, the eternal Son of God, builds the one holy Catholic church. It is not man's church. Man will build churches too. And we have plenty of them. With all sorts of heresies and divisions. With all sorts of programs to keep people busy. But they will not last. But Christ is mightier than man. He builds his church and his church will last forever. Brothers and sisters, I say it again, so important. The Canadian Reformed Church of St. Albert is not your church. You must see it this way and you must believe it this way. You must keep that in mind with your activities or inactivities, your, your influence or not, Within the church. Your zeal for the church may never ever become selfish zeal. It may not ever be my way or the highway. It has to be Christ's way. The moment that we would think and act as if the church is ours. Then we are worshipping ourselves and we are not the church of the Lord any longer. It's his church and therefore it is holy. And if we begin to act and to add our own ideas to be desecrated and we becoming like those who did not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbed in another way and the Lord Jesus calls his people thieves and robbers. Let's always watch and pray that this congregation, this church will always remain a true part of the one holy Catholic Church for as long as it is. The Son of God will continue to gather it, will never cease to defend it, and will preserve it for all eternity. And that's great comfort, because now it doesn't matter how strong the enemies of the Church become. It doesn't matter that Satan launches his attack upon attack against us. He our Lord, the eternal Son of God, will continue to, prevent, to, to gather, to defend and preserve it till the end. It is in that way that Christ built the church. He is the builder. Let's now also see in our second point who and what he uses to, to build his church. So who and what does the Lord use to gather all these people unto himself? This by his father chosen church. 
The answer of our catechism is again short and clear when it says, by his spirit and word. And so the Son of God uses in the first place the Holy Spirit. But the catechism puts the Holy Spirit and the word together in one phrase. Now why? Because the Holy Spirit and the word are inseparable. When we use this phrase, by his spirit and word, then we need to think in the first place about the preaching of the word of God. The Holy Spirit and the faithful preaching of the gospel are just inseparable. And that makes the preaching of the word of God then the primary means by which our Lord gathers and preserves the church. You see, brothers and sisters, that makes going to church on Sundays and preparing yourselves to hear the word of God preached, the gospel preached, that makes it so very important. The preparation of yourselves for the preaching of God's word is a crucial part of worshipping him, of coming to church on Sunday. Preparing yourself for it has a lot to do with how you spend time, the time leading up to that Sunday. And so, that has a lot to do with how you spend your Saturday evening. You see, I know from experience how awfully hard it is, if not impossible, to be in the right frame of mind, or maybe you should say in the right frame of heart, to receive the word of God if you have been partying until the wee hours of the night before Sunday. It doesn't work. So very necessary to be prepared. And there are, it's so very worthwhile to be, prepared, to be prepared. John Calvin once said, when the gospel is preached in the name of God, that is as much as if he himself speak in his own person. That's the preaching of the word of God. Christ speaking to you. You should be prepared for that. It shouldn't be so that on Sunday morning and half an hour before church time you jump out of your bed and you race down to church and there you sit. And after an half an hour you finally really wake up. It shouldn't be happening. And we miss too much. Because the Holy Spirit... Because the Lord Jesus Christ is not only gathering his church, but he is also building it up. And he uses his word and his spirit for that. That John Calvin said that, that the preaching is the same as Christ speaking in his own person. He didn't say that of his own. He based it upon the, upon the word of God. He said, because in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23 and 24, we read... But we preach Christ crucified. That's the gospel. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greek fallen foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, to us on Sunday morning, this preached gospel is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Exciting. Christ is going to speak to us on Sunday morning. Preaching of the word, preaching of the gospel is Christ. It is the power and it is the wisdom of God. Just think about it 
als zonde Jesus Christ himself will speak to you words which mean life, yes, eternal life to you. And imagine, you're not being prepared, you're not able to hear it because your mind is going all over the place. What a loss for you. Should, not, should you not prepare yourself to make sure that you hear it right and that you hear it all? Son of God himself appointed the preaching of his word to the foremost means to gather his church and to defend it and to preserve it. And, and now you may ask by yourself, now why so much emphasis upon that preaching? Well, you see the same thing that went on before the Reformation and just about dragged the church in complete oblivion is happening all over again now. In a somewhat different form, maybe, but it is the same thing. In many churches, the preaching of the gospel has gone more and more out of fashion. It has lost its flavor, even by many Reformed Christians. In many churches, the place of preaching has been taken by drama, by movies, by praise bands and other religious entertainment, and by personal testimonies. Listening to sermons, nah, that's boring. That doesn't attract people. The Reformed churches, most people still want the preaching of the gospel, but an increasing amount of people have decided for themselves what should be in a sermon and what should not be in it. And while they listen to it, they grade it according to their preferences. Well, whatever this is, it's not listening in submission to Christ's word. And they do not hear Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. Apostle Paul, he knew that it all would happen. And so he writes in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, For the time will come that men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Yeah, it can happen. Also in Reformed churches. You should be so alert. As he said, the preaching of the gospel has in many churches become out of fashion. And the result is, is devastating. Just as before the Reformation, Christianity has lost its flavor, its appeal and its relevance in the sinful world. And for this reason, Christianity has become, in the mind of many people who dearly need to hear the gospel, just one of the many world's religions which are all good. According to them. For many people who claim to be Christians in our time, the preaching of the cross has become a stumbling block. The idea that one is a lost sinner in need of salvation is just bad for one's self esteem. And it also has become foolishness, a dying man upon the cross. Who is he able to save? But God says in his word, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe, and you need to believe that. How does Christ build his church? He gathers 
defends and preserves for himself by his spirit and word in the unity of true faith and church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe and that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. See here, the catechism becomes very personal again. And that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. That's a great confession. But it calls at the same time for some real self-examination. It forces us to ask the question to ourselves, am I a member of his church? Am I a member of that one holy Catholic church? And, and you could answer that question by saying, sure I am. I was baptized. I was registered in the records of the church. I did confession. I became a communicant member of the church. So that's not a question any longer. Well, it still is. It still is the question. The Catechism says that I am and forever will remain a living member of it. And see, no one can forever be a member of the local church. Catechism speaks of the one holy Catholic Church, about the body of Christ. And the question is, are you, am I, a member of that church forever? You see, it is sad to say it, but it is possible for a person to be baptized, to have publicly professed the faith, to go on the Lord's Supper even, and be a member in good standing of a local church, while at the same time not being a member of Christ's church, of that one holy Catholic church. I agree with you, it shouldn't be possible. But still is. And it's therefore that the Lord Jesus Christ himself laments over some people that they honor them with their mouth but keep their hearts far from him. Yes, they go to church, but deep in their hearts they do it maybe to keep God happy. Or, or another good reason is that well, all my family and friends are there and, and, and I grew up in it. It is my comfort zone. But being a living member of Christ's church doesn't work that way. That cannot be all of it. There's a couple of questions. Is there in your heart that longing for God that he is near to you? That you have peace with him? If there also in your heart the need for his word, you need it. The desire to live unto him. Oh, that you only could. Is there on Saturday evening already, or on Sunday morning, a hunger in your heart to hear the preached word of God, to hear Christ speaking to you again? Do you come to hear the message that he has for you? The message that he wants you to hear. You see, then you are, and then you will, you forever will remain a living member of that one holy Catholic Church, which Christ, the eternal Son of God, is building from the beginning of the world to the end of it. But let's now also see briefly why he builds his church. What's the purpose of it all? Well, the phrase of the answer that says, out of the whole human race, leads us to the answer. 
The building of the church has to do with the human race. It does have to do with the does it have to do with the whole of the human race? No, for it says out of the human race. Out of the whole human race. And a little further, it speaks of a church chosen. Out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, Christ will build his church, and in this way, he creates a new humanity. And that has a whole lot to do with the purpose for which God, for which Christ is building his church. God had created man good and after his own image and in his own likeness, we all know that. And we all know that God and man, Adam and Eve, enjoyed a perfect and peaceful relationship and that that relationship was all unto God's glory and to the blessedness of man. And we also all know that man sinned and for the most part lost the image and likeness of God. The glorious and perfect relationship was broken so much so that God and man became enemies. Man had nothing but hatred for his creator and showed it in many ways. As man ever since had an unquenchable desire for evil and destruction. And as such, man, humanity, people were doomed to die forever. They couldn't change it. But God did not give up to man. And he, gave, he did not give up to his image bearer. And God made a plan. And he chose out of the whole fallen humanity from the beginning to the end of the world a multitude that no one can count. And he chose them to be restored and to be renewed into the image of his beloved son. The image of the eternal son of God. Here is the purpose of the church. The plan Cost God dearly. He had to give his only begotten son. And he, the son of God, came and he willingly came into this world to take upon himself our image. And what kind of image was that? Well, we read about that in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Here is our image. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, he became like one from whom men hide their faces. He came in our image. That was, that's our image. But he came to change it. He took our image and likeness so that he could restore his father's chosen people. Restore us, brothers and sisters in the Lord, into the likeness and the image that he had before the world was. And this is only a part of the purpose for building his church, for even further reaches that purpose. The Son of God builds his church also to restore the broken relationship between his Father and us, his fallen people. The broken relationship needed to be restored so that once again God the Father may see his glory mirrored into man whom he had created for that purpose. He had made us to be the crown of every glory and stain that he had created so that in that glorious crown God could see himself as in a mirror. And so he could relish and delight in fellowship with his glorious image bearer. And the Lord builds his church so that he once again make us into that image, into that mirror, 
Lord, build this church so that he once again may pour out upon us, his people, all his love, all his affection, all his glory, and all his peace without measure. He builds his church so that we may walk again with him for all eternity in the cool of the day and rejoice in each other's fellowship, the love, the affection, and the devotion that we will have for each other. But even further, reaches his purpose for building his church. For the Lord prayed in John 17 that we may have the glory that he had before, before the world was. He builds his church so that God and man may rejoice in a peace and a glory as existed between the Father and his Son before the world was. Can you imagine that? Is it not unimaginable the triune God who does everything unto his own glory builds his church so that all its members may share in his glory? You see, that's infinite love. That's boundless mercy. That's amazing grace. That is divine generosity. The holy, triune, eternal, almighty God does not desire his glory without us. And that's why he, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself and church, chosen to everlasting life, and what a marvel it is, brothers and sisters, that each one of us may say it from the, from the bottom of our hearts that I am, that I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. Think about that. It's Christ's church. And you're a part of it. Amen. Let's respond by singing hymn 61, the stanzas 1 and 2.